spoken here. Our featured poet today is Luthan Osman, who was born in Somalia and shortly thereafter migrated with her parents to the United States. She was raised in Ohio, got her MFA at the University of Texas Missionary Center for Writers. Her first book, The Kitchen Dweller's Testimony, won the Sillerman First Book Prize. And of course, we'll be hearing some poems from that book along with others. Then, You'll hear the story of a wonderful institution called The Book Thing that exists for the purpose of getting books to people who need them free. Part of what we talk about poetry spoken here, that's actually speaking the poem really makes it different. I am usually thinking about tactically how to approach the page, how to do something that will feed someone that is only looking to the page, but then also um, when I'm writing poems, I'm chasing a music or my own breath. And so I have to keep writing and keep working until the thing looks like how it gives me the cues to read it the way that I need to read mm -hmm. it as well. And so, but typically people are uh, surprised by how I read poems versus how they appear on the page. And I, I like the idea that there's separate experiences, actually. So. Yeah. And you mentioned um, Somali. I'm wondering what, um, what, what connections you've, you have there since you are pretty much an Ohioan, overwhelmingly, in a way, anyway. Um, well, there's so much about space that is not limited to geography. I mean, I'm certainly educated here and matured here and primarily speak English and write in English. Um, but I grew up in a Somali household and with, not it's not just the nation itself, but my parents' particular stories, their particular history, their particular uh, lineage in terms of music and imagery and how they approach language, that specificity um, but that does, of course, relate to some tribal affiliations or where geographically they are from Somalia. And that's um, always enriching and is an important part of my way of just being in the world. But um, And so much of my work has been in translation, either as a younger person. I didn't have a firm grasp on English. I felt in some ways until the fourth grade or so. So, mm. I mean, I was in ESL classes early on, but I couldn't quite write in English, or I knew that I was making mistakes, but I couldn't quite correct them. Some of that is just being a kid yeah. and not knowing grammar, but some of it was just you can sense, you don't have a grasp of the language yet. And so that's very uh, vivid in my memory, but then also uh, translating for relatives, right? Especially older ones that don't speak English. If you're at a doctor's office or some other yeah. facility or filling out forms for people, you know, not my parents, but maybe people that my parents wanted me to assist or kids that needed help uh, with tutoring or even um, as I got older into my teenage years, adults that needed mm -hmm. assistance with language because they were trying to catch up and learn and be productive in a primarily English-speaking society. And so, um, you know, my 
first language is an important part of my mm. daily life and it is an important part of how I came to understand language and communicate. I always feel that I'm straddling um, something, but felt that it was important that somebody be the bridge between mm -hmm. because sometimes it felt that there wasn't uh, that. It's like, well, we're here <laughs> and uh, we need to be able to understand each other. So some of that is generational, but some of it certainly is cultural, is linguistic. Yeah. So. Do you speak both at home? I Well, I home? just live... Uh -huh. I'm just here on my, my family's all in Ohio and I'm uh -huh. here um, in Chicago, Illinois. And so I, it's just in speaking to them, but I, over time, my parents will speak Somali to us children. I have three siblings, but well, we're not kids anymore. We're not yeah. children, but we're their children. Uh, but we, after a certain point, speak English primarily to them. Um, but I noticed since I moved completely out of the state in 2006 or seven, that the language starts to slip away. But then if I'm home for even a day or two, so much of it rushes back. Yeah. It's always interesting to try to imagine what goes on in a person's head who knows the two languages very well. And uh, um, I don't know Somali as well as I should, but um, I understand it better than it seems based on how I speak it. And so sometimes it is very strange to get stuck on a Somali word, or I know how to say it in Somali, but it's very hard to translate into English. Mm -hmm. But then um, the same thing happens. I really want to recall even a very basic Somali word, and I can't do it. And it's very, that feels like a very uh, intense personal loss sometimes. Yeah. As well, too. So. Loss is the word. Yeah. Well, let's do another poem. Okay. Um, I'll read uh, one from the book. Uh, That's the Kitchen Dweller's Testimony. Read this since it's springtime, or allegedly it's very cold and dreary today. Uh, the man who puts dirt on his head. I till you my garden. I remove weeds from you and only hesitate when the birds share an especially sweet note. I wonder if the lesser plants clinging to your earth have a right to it. I pull arms from bases when they reach out to a neighbor for help. I observe the milk they produce when choked and deny them offspring. They used to have a right to your earth when you did not understand how birdsong swells in the cathedral of a tree, how a person can leave a life on the kitchen table, how need is most powerful before dawn, death's popular hour. This dirt will not cool you. I remove the weeds and leave the wildflower. I take the excess and place it on my own head. Who turns the earth? Who is the garden? In the days when butterflies and beetles escort us in our work, we are both water and wind, seed and petal, farmer and the earth that resists, relents. We remove the uninvited worms, how their color reminds us of the private places, how they cling to the roots of anything. Good for spring. Yes. <laughs> I knew, not in that one, but you reminded me talking of, of all the natural elements, how water came up quite a bit in yes. the poems <laughs> that, you, that you sent me to look at ahead of time. Yeah. As, do, you, do you think you have some fundamental things that have you noticed yourself, things that pop up to you out of your poems? 
I am apparently obsessed with water. I like every poem has it. Sometimes I get frustrated with myself and make I, you're gonna write a dry poem. It doesn't matter. I don't care what you think about it. But so I thought when I did, I actually plugged my book at some point into Wordle. You know that Word Cloud? Yeah. Plugin. I don't mm -hmm. even know what it is. And so I um, thought that my book was about something related to the spirit or that God appeared a lot. And I just was curious. But when I put it in there, water was huge, <laughs> as was um, hair, woman, shadow. So water and shadow were really uh, uh, repetitive. Um, and so that caused me to go back and not only edit for words that I didn't want to see, mm -hmm. or but there are times that I indicated water or speak to what water does. And I think I've been fascinated always because, you know, in school they teach you water is the universal solvent. Just even the language of that yeah. feels biblical or something. Yeah. And so um, I do notice that uh, for me, natural landscapes are really soothing and it's where i feel i can take time and breathe but i'm really interested in scriptures from various religions and interested in the function of poetry especially in ancient times and one of the things that people very often do is draw parables from the natural world is the whole point is for you to think of something that is transcendent, but then you go and you feel it in your own body, or you can look around and see everyday objects or consider your home or the foundations of your home or how a spider does work. And there must, I figured there must be something really valuable in that besides my personal interest and love for it mm -hmm. since childhood is if people carry this around with them, if they're willing to, many times they're drawn and redrawn to religion because of these stories mm -hmm. um, and these images but then also you know when people are getting married when there's a funeral when people don't have words how they turn to scriptures and what it is that's contained in those scriptures is very often um, something that it was affirmation for me it felt natural mm -hmm. to how I look around and try to explain things so um, water so, is not just water but it you know I am also <laughs> very fixated on sounds, uh, sounds, which I don't know enough to follow up on but sounds pretty Jungian oh maybe so <laughs> I'm thinking of archetypes you know it is like the, the grand universal water connection yeah uh, that we all share and of course we are yeah. how much percent water ourselves yeah well I agree with Wordle and that's a very interesting idea for a poet you put the whole manuscript out to see yeah. what came out I just wanted to know what was in there Great. I was really surprised but it did help me uh, think rethink some things and it helped me with order because I didn't realize there was so much um, shadow play and that many yeah. of the poems were twinned and so instead of separating them what I did I went back and I let them closer together so they would build a pressure together and so if you take the book to the general, it, the book is in three parts, but if you, you can almost fold the narrative of the book in half and see um, the difference between a younger or grappling child self and then one that has broken free and has more surrealist concerns or otherworldly concerns. And some of the poems uh, reflect, they reflect back on each other. So I was thinking a lot about reflection and shadows and light, how light operates. You know. That comes out of your photography. 
Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, it's certainly but, a study. But this Wordle thing, I could, I could see a beautiful little afternoon workshop where a bunch yeah. of poets bring your manuscript to the computer, yeah. run it through, and then everybody discussing. So now, like what you're saying, you have choices what to do with it. Yeah. You want to put those poems together or yeah. separate them or whatever. Yeah. It's sort of manuscript uh, development thing. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. And I didn't take out common words, and so I realized that I was using like a lot. Mm. I was extremely upset, and so I went back and just, it caused me to write smarter similes and metaphors as well. So I really appreciated uh, yeah. that too. Wow. That's lovely. I love it when I run into, <laughs> run into somebody who's like, totally never heard of this. Yeah. It's a great idea. Oh, let's hear another poem. <laughs> So, I'll do water. This is perfect, actually. Oh, there you um, go. Yeah. Also from the book. Um, water. I came to you carrying water. I came to you carrying silted water from a well, muddied, carried in a bucket with a split lip. My water tasted salty and like the earth and so like blood, and I brought as much as I could carry in a bucket that drooled tiny streams of water on my mud ashen legs. In all our days together, I have walked between well and house enough so the path is marked with the branching roads of my souls. I have come to you so often, the path has many other roads if only you kneel in the dust and look for them. I am subject to you in the way the water is subject to the moon. You are subject to me in the way a wall is subject to its roof. And like the water, I expect you to come upon me of a sudden like flesh out of a slit in cloth. And like the wall, you expect intimate collapses, capillaries of change inscribed day by day on our surfaces. I came to you with water from my deep well. I came to you with earth for your ready water, water in every crevice for the valley that divides your tongue. I held your head in my lap and traveled the many roads leading out of that valley. If you would like to read another poem, we probably should just do that because that's about what we have time for. Right. We, you're just too easy to talk to. Okay. Is there any sort of poem you'd like to hear? No, I want you to choose. That's okay. Pick one that's not real long. Other than that, right. <laughs> that's a pretty, pretty unartistic criterion. And again, you talked about getting into poetry because you really wanted to get precise with language. Yeah, precise with language and understand the work that an image can do. Because I love cinema and love images, but something wasn't coalescing, and so when you were writing fiction, uh, it didn't feel as yeah. Because fiction, I can get away with being a decent storyteller and having a sense of humor, and I just felt there was something cheap in that. I wanted to become, yeah, really precise. Um, and so I'll read, uh, since you mentioned the chapbook that uh, the dear Ted Kuzier wrote um, an intro for, I'll um, read that poem, which is kind of a seed poem for the entire book. The questions that are contained in it are ones that have really stay throughout Beautiful. the whole collection. So, Ordinary Heaven. I arrange a doll in a chair and wait for her to speak. I want to say, be, but am an ordinary creation. I watch for the folds under her eyes to twitch. I have many dreams I say to her. 
In my dreams, I'm better than myself. I soften peppers in a well-greased pan and make announcements. I say, in the afterlife, we cannot allow a single particle of our light to diminish. I am not a woman prophet, but I know paradise. I have seen my soul sitting on grass. There, I learned God doesn't know shame. And after six days, he allowed our atmosphere to make certain souls wince. We crawl under its magnificence. Here, I can attain ordinary heavens. Here, I attend to my book of questions. What is love? Why does it say, allow me to mogul your soul? Where does it keep what it takes? What does the prostrating shadow request? Why do rocks enslave water? What is the slave's poem? Does the sea favor its roar or murmur? The doll cannot answer, and the furrow in her bottom lip suggests that entry into ordinary heaven only requires recognition of it for the soul's arrogance to weigh less than a mustard seed. I am sorry for you, I tell her. You witness, but don't testify. Want to hear a poem like this? I'm really glad we're recording because anybody who wants to can go back and listen again because it's dense and interesting and it deserves a re-listening. You know, to really, really get it. So thanks so much for being here. It's really been great talking to you. Yeah, thank you, Charlie. I'm Charlie Rossiter. This is Poetry Spoken Here. We've been talking to Luthan Osman and hearing her poetry. You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and now I'd like to tell you about a wonderful literary institution, a free book warehouse. It's called The Book Thing in Baltimore, Maryland, and there's a bright side and a dark side to its story. The bright side is The Book Thing itself. This organization exists for the purpose of collecting books from people who don't want them and getting those books to people who do want them. In those transactions, no money changes hands. Here's the story. The book thing began at a bar with some teachers lamenting the lack of books for their classroom and a book-loving bartender. That was September 1999. By the following April, the book thing had nonprofit 501c3 status, a place to work out of, and Russell Wattenberg had quit his bartending job to run the show. A few years later, they moved to their 7,000-foot square present location and have been doing their work there ever since. Now, for the dark side. In early March 2016, there was a fire at the book thing that seriously damaged the building and the stock. At the time, there was an inventory of approximately 200,000 books. As you know, Books are not the kind of objects that do well in an environment with a lot of water and smoke. Much was destroyed. Fortunately, 
not everything. The book thing has had to close temporarily for repairs and cleanup. They expect to reopen late fall 2016. And of course, they can use any kind of financial and physical help they can get. However, do not try to donate books. There is simply no place to put new donations right now. However, you can contribute funds to help with recovery by going to www.bookthing.org and using the donate button to make a contribution. There's also a wish list on the website. And if you're anywhere on the east coast of the United States, not too far from Baltimore, Maryland, well, you can contact the book thing through the website about volunteering to come in and help with cleanup activities. There will also be various fundraising activities happening to help this worthwhile organization in the coming months. And information about them will appear on the website and on the Facebook page, which you can follow as The Book Thing of Baltimore on Facebook. I'm Charlie Rossiter. You've been listening to the poetry of Luthan Osman and a report on The Book Thing on Poetry Spoken Here. Join us again next time, right here where poetry speaks to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.